One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Well, hey, uh, everybody out there, I, I don't know when we'll cut into this. Um, it's very uh, loosey-goosey at times. But I'm talking to Rory Scoville. Uh, you're listening to the three questions. Um, uh, Rory, uh, you're a podcaster now. I'm I'm deep in the biz. When did you start podcasting? Because I know you have a couple now. Have you had more than than? I two? had one attempt at a podcast show i don't know if you've ever read the stephen king book Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. it is the nope. first and only stephen king book i've ever read it is absolutely brilliant it's one of my favorite books it's about uh jfk assassination and the t- and time travel which is not a great pitch but trust me it's good and uh, Gotta jerk off to something exactly and <laughs> hulu hulu made a mini series about it and so me and daniel van kirk uh did a podcast where we'd watch the episode and then the the episode for our podcast would be us talking about it but we realized a few episodes in we hated the mini series oh no so we just started improvising and creating backstories for who we were as podcast hosts and it got wildly out of control and hard to remember <laughs> any of our setups and any yeah, of yeah. our any of our foundation. yeah we the forgot everything yeah so we just kept doubling down and then it ended and then he pitched to me a podcast where if people are listening to the show, they just write us a letter like pen pals would and they can tell us about them their lives or ask us stuff and our reply is the episode. So we started doing that and it's really blown up into something really fun. We get some silly letters and we get some really serious ones uh, about some dark, very serious stuff. And we still try to keep it light and informative as two non-professional <laughs> therapists. Uh, <laughs> we give our best opinions. And then uh, just recently I started doing dads on the the Team Coco platform with Ruthie yes. Wyatt. And, uh, which, I, which you've I been was on. on. That's right. We on. deleted that episode. I forgot to tell you. We said, it, nope, he didn't cut the mustard. <laughs> <laughs> well, my fathering techniques are somewhat unorthodox <laughs> and controversial. Yes. So. And we can't spread that. We can't have yeah, other yeah, yeah. people going, well, that's how I'll parent as right. well. My, um, uh, my fathering techniques are all based on the movie The Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> I power my home with my yeah. children sleeping in bags of yeah. fluid. Every yeah. morning, I give my kids a red pill and blue pill. Very <laughs> real pills. They do have an effect, but I don't know yes. what they are anymore. It's hard but to keep I, up. And I always forget which does which. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's really i gotta write it down yeah because there's some days where i'm like oh no i wanted them to believe in the matrix i know and sometimes one will take a blue pill and the other one takes a red pill and i've just given myself twice the work to do all day and convincing them in a real reality and a false reality (laughs) and i just grab a handful so i never know where i am so you're from uh from north carolina right yep south carolina South Carolina. Oh, that's right. South Carolina. Yeah, because uh, we've talked because I used to go to South Carolina and we've talked about. I think the the Clemson sort of like the the madness of the Clemson Carolina rivalry. Yeah, I grew up in the thick of that. I grew up about 20 minutes away from Clemson University. So I it's it is it's very uh, uh, Hatfield McCoy, just who's yeah. uh, who have you picked? Which Montagues and Capulets? It's the age old rivalry that when you step back, you're just like, what? Why? Like, who cares? to truly hate someone I know. who who in reality has an equal amount of passion as you do yeah. about the exact same sport. But yet you hate each other when realistically you're probably so wildly compatible. Yes. You're exactly the same. <laughs> yes. It's like it's like uh uh you know, letting I just think the Middle East could be solved if everyone eat, realizes we eat the same foods. <laughs> Who doesn't like chickpeas? We're all breathing air. Yeah, come on. You're listening to The Bottom um, Line with Andy Richter. <laughs> That's right. The podcast where I take about three minutes to solve the world's conflicts. I Every listened week. to season one. It took 20 minutes to listen to season one of his full podcast, 30 episodes of his podcast. <laughs> yep. Brought to you by QuickTime. Uh, that's, a, that's a joke from before we started recording. Um, it was really, really good. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I one time uh, we stayed on Sullivan's Island uh, for actually, you know what we did? Um, my ex-wife and I were friends with some comedy writers who are one of there are a couple, and one of them is a native South Carolinian, and is oh, okay. kind of hooked up now, and lives back in South Carolina, and is kind of hooked up. With, I mean, because, you know, the hoi polloi of South Carolina is fairly limited. You know, it's yeah. like it's, that's not a lot of people. So we, I mean, I don't know, this is maybe 2008. I mean, whenever it, whenever, because we rented Mark Sanford's house. Yeah. Okay. We rented his house in Sullivan's Island and, um, he was hiking as and he often that, does. That happened. Like, we just knew, like, oh, hey, through these friends of ours, hey, we're going to rent. Because, you know, you rent people's beach houses. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Every every family rented us out their beach house. And we're like, oh, shit, we're getting the governor's house? Oh, wow. Who's (laughs) the governor? Like, we didn't know who the fucking governor was. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then as we're, like, in the time leading up to it, literally, like, a week before we are going to the house, it's like... The governor of South Carolina was, you know, having an affair and sitting yeah. on the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. Oh, and, my God. That's crazy. That's and it was the timing right of it. And then, yeah. And then we were fully aware. Like, my ex-wife emailed the first lady and was like, uh, 
you know, if this is a rough time and you need your house, we'll understand. <laughs> That's and so we insane. Could, yeah. And she's like, no, no. She's like, no. No, no. You, you, everything's staying the same. We don't turn air, down Airbnb money. We did yeah. not turn down Airbnb money. <laughs> and we stayed there. And what was what was really great, too, was that people would come by the house to express their sympathy or, I don't know, wallow, you know, like, just like. Oh, know, my like, God. Gawk at them. But there were casseroles on our doorstep every single night. That is the best. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the first lady was like, you know, eat them, put them in the freezer, whatever you want. So we had like, she didn't give these, a shit about yeah, anything. Like, Who cares? Eat them, like, throw them in the trash. My life. I am. I, I hate my life right now. Yeah. So I do not care. Um, and no, I just she, I would imagine going through that. And then as you walked through the house, there were just so many family photos of them in white button down dress shirts with jeans on. Absolutely. <laughs> Why Absolutely. is that such There's a popular photograph for families? All over the place. Yeah. On the beach, all wearing the same shirt, you know? <laughs> the Christmas <laughs> Why? card. Who, I don't know. Whoever started that was like, you're not even going to believe what I stumbled on. I'm going to yeah. revolutionize the family <laughs> photo game. <laughs> People will think that we are a boring old rhythm and blues singing group, <laughs> all wearing the same thing. We'll look like hip pop music acapella. <laughs> I don't know, but it was a lovely house, and man, yeah. I love the beach. But there, there were—I think we were there on a—I don't know if it was a game day or whatever. But I mean, there was like one day where it just seemed like it was Clemson and somebody, and it was just all over the place. Just like, yeah. oh my god. They're just yeah, teenagers playing football. Take it easy. There's a strong dedication to um, the fandom yeah. of that. I mean, it's it it is what carries. You know, I mean, obviously people have their lives, but culturally, it carries the the culture of so many different areas. It's not just the southeast, although the southeast is very passionate about college football. Yes, but it it culturally carries everyone from August through january which yeah. is half of the year and it it means everything to them it means yeah. it, it is like you follow your team even when your team is not doing well you watch all the games and all the the teams and and i think because there's such a massive amount of college football people it really build their identity uh around it which is um i i, I don't know i just never Despite being with family members who do yeah. that, you know, my dad was, my dad didn't even go to Clemson and he was a diehard Clemson fan. And four of his kids, uh, five of his kids attended uh, the University of South Carolina and branch schools of that. And yet he still was like, I don't even give a shit. I'm yeah, Clemson. Yeah. yeah. Clemson all the way. It's, it's, it's what bizarre. I just never got caught up in it because I I don't know that I care. I I will say going to a Clemson Carolina football game and tailgating and going into yes, the game is such fun. a fun experience. It's fun. Um, and I will uh, like I went to University of Illinois and they, they weren't that you know it's Big Ten. They weren't that good at football, but it was fun. Game yeah. day is fun. Yes, and you get in there with. I mean, at the time tickets were like three dollars. You know, like the student right. tickets cost nothing. Yeah. And you go sit in the game, and it's just it's just fun. you're drinking, you're yeah, eating shitty yeah. food. It's exactly. it's fun, and and honestly, 
it would be fun now. I couldn't imagine it. Uh, you know, I'm now 40. I could not imagine doing that or even wanting to do that every Saturday. It felt yeah, it basically <laughs> framing your life. <laughs> yes. And I know so many and l- look, when people find the thing they like, who am I to shit on the thing they like? I I I just personally was not able to build my identity around as you said, a bunch of teenagers playing a sport. It's yeah. fun. If you had tickets right now and you said we're going Saturday, I'd be like, a uh, pandemic. But I'd yeah. still go because I'm American and I can prove to the world that my body can fight this virus. <laughs> and that's why I wanted to come on the show today to talk about right. the hoax that is. We are on a Zoom call, but we're in the same room. Within spittle distance. Of We're in other. the Zoom room, folks. Yeah. You're in the Zoom room with Welcome Andy the Richter. Room. <laughs> so you did. You went to University of South Carolina, right? I, I went to University of South Carolina Upstate. So it was like a branch Division II sports. I think it's Division One now. But it was a smaller uh, school that was in like the the branch family of USC. And yeah. you went. You went for sports. I played soccer. Yeah. Yeah. I, played, I, I went to two schools as well. I went to one semester at University of Central Florida because I also wanted to go to film school. And I don't know if you remember, this is in 99, right after Blair Witch Project came out, which was made by four or five University of Central Florida film students. Oh. So suddenly that school was getting this reputation as, hey, our film program just produced you know this the new hot shit kids that made this found right. footage you know one of the most horror frustrating movie. horror films ever <laughs> yeah that made so much imagine yeah. you make one thing and you go actually i could coast on this money for quite a while in my <laughs> my life yeah, and do yeah, nothing yeah, yeah, yeah um so i went to school there for soccer and with the hopes of going to that film school and then after one semester not even a full year uh i'm one of seven kids and it occurred to me oh, the out-of-state tuition is huge, and this coach only wants to pay for my books in terms of a scholarship. So I right. was like, you know what? I, you know, I'll, I'll save you the $600. You can keep the $600. I got to go back to in-state. So that's when yeah, I went yeah. back to South Carolina and played soccer there. And, and you had a, a, did you have a full ride? I didn't have a full ride. Uh, I, since I transferred in the middle of the year, I, it was kind of like, all right, well, you're new, so you got to kind of prove it. And I Kind of got a little bit more money each year up until my senior year. I think I got a decent amount, but yeah, it was it was it's difficult, especially D two programs. You know, at that time, I don't know what the age cap was on players you could recruit from foreign countries, but there, you know, there's a lot of foreign students that play soccer in for yeah. U.S. schools, which I have no opinion on. I loved it. I It broadened my view of the world by being surrounded by guys from Norway and Finland and South Africa and, and, and England, truly all over the place. Sounds fun, actually. It, it actually was very fun because, you know, all I've had is I'm growing up in a South Carolina culture and now I'm playing soccer with and, and uh, socializing with and spending most of my time with people who are telling me what the rest of the world is actually like and what I look like from the outside. And your instinct is to say, is that Patriot thing you kind of grow up with depending on where and who your family is. But it was like, fuck you. We're the greatest country in the world. So already in my early twenties, I had an inkling of, 
oh, we we maybe run our mouth a lot and we don't actually focus on uh, trying to really do things that that where we could confidently go, yeah, we're a pretty great country, but instead we yeah. just go, well, if we say it all the time. So yeah. I was surrounded by people who are like, you guys know that all you do is say that you're number one, even at sports that none of the rest of us play. <laughs> I was yeah, like, yeah. yeah, that's because, you know, at that age, I'm like, that's because you're too scared to play those sports. Right. <laughs> it's called the World Series. <laughs> yeah. Norway- Norwegian guy. Yeah. You guys yeah. need to learn how to play baseball up there in the ice caps. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think, well, and also, too, that's become more and more true. I think, I mean, you know, America's always had a big difference between what they purport to be and what they act, what we purport to be and what we actually are. Yeah. But I think it's just gotten more and more pointed as time went on because I think we, we got sort of freedom. Oh, you know, for a while we're like the only shop in town with it. And then but everyone's caught up to us in terms of like freedom and capitalism and stuff. So the notion yeah. that like everyone's coming here, I mean, that still is kind of true, but it's like, yeah, but we're <clears throat> slipping, you know, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're changing our bro. The look of our brochure is, is definitely changing yes. <laughs> quite a bit yes, for yes. people to to want to come here. But yeah, it's, it, I don't know. It's bizarre. Cause I grew up around, not that I didn't grow up around great people, but I did grow up where there was an overwhelming mentality of just like, yeah, we're the greatest and fuck you. And this is how I live. And this is my culture and lifestyle. And I think there's a big part of me that, you know, I do understand that, but I, I think I also didn't fully relate to it. Uh, and so, and encompassed in that is also, you know, my love and support of college football. It just, it wasn't my identity. And so I just couldn't really understand it. There's a, did you grow up in a, cause I mean, Having been to South Carolina, it does seem like, well, A, the coastal South Carolina is very different than the interior of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then and then you got the feeling that when you went into the interior, that's where like the real old time, you know, <clears throat> dyed in the wool segregation was. You and, know, it's uh, it's kind of. Yeah, I think it's kind of everywhere in varying degrees. I would say that to someone who's never been to the South. I would tell them that the thing that might surprise them the most is where they would find extreme racism and where they wouldn't find it. Yeah, It's yeah. sort of unexpected. Yeah. Um, and I would say the coastal, it is, it can be very different. Like, for instance, where you were, Sullivan's Island, in that sort of Charleston area. Yeah, we also go to Pauly's <laughs> Island, too, yeah. which is outside yeah. of Myrtle Beach. But. So because of that, and because of, because that's such a great, summer place it attracts people from different parts of the country to like either yeah. vacation there or even buy homes there which you know on a massive scale can start to kind of tip the the culture a little yeah. bit and you find that some places like like it's it's no uh it's no surprise that a lot of major cities have a more progressive uh vibe yeah. Simply because those large cities, attra- you know, there's a lot of people that are just attracted to city city yeah. life. And so with yeah. that, they bring their ideas and their cultures and, and blah, blah, blah. And then and as opposed to voices getting drowned out, they're just all collectively lifted up. Uh, I happen to grow up in Greenville, South Carolina, which is a very big city in South Carolina. So it kind of rode the fence of, yeah, you definitely find people who are uh, wildly outdated viewpoints on 
every single topic imaginable. And then you yeah. find surprisingly a lot more progressive people than you might expect as well. What What, what is Greenville's thing? Would it start out as like a mill town or something? Or um, That's a great question. I mean, right. I, I guess it's, I guess. I mean, mills almost seems like the <laughs> the easiest answer. Yeah. Like textiles. Hell yeah, dude. We got it. Well, textiles. yeah. Well, but I, I couldn't mean, even tell you specifically right. what that even means. Uh, <laughs> well, cotton, I would think. You know. But I, I mean, but then there's a part of me that's like, is that sort of so many places in the South? I guess, yeah, yeah. That, that it's well, probably yeah. assumed. But uh, I know or now. Lumber. I mean, it, you know. Yeah. Gro- growing up there, around yeah. like middle school is when the. Uh, um, you know, Michelin is uh, big in the upstate. And then also uh, uh, BMW opened this really big plant uh, all in the South, the Greenville Spartanburg area. Right. So for me growing up and like, what is their thing? Like truly and strangely enough, international business be kind of <laughs> became this huge yeah, yeah. thing from Charlotte to Greenville to Atlanta. And because uh, I, I, a lot of people ask me why I don't have a Southern accent um, you know, uh, just a normal Southern accent. And I say, I'd never, I don't know that I ever really had one because I went to private Catholic school and a lot of the kids I was friends with weren't from South Carolina. Their, their dads worked for Michelin. Yeah. And so they moved to South Carolina. So I was influenced by the, by, by how my friends around me spoke and, you know, obviously right. watching like a ton of TV, but yeah, for me, that's kind of what the thing was business wise. Well, are your parents mushmouth hicks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish without laughing. I was just like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, uh, oh uh, yeah. the worst. They are the worst. I, yeah. Uh, I mean, my, I, they, <laughs> they put captions on the videos they make for you. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of family that uh, that definitely has very thick Southern uh uh, accent, Southern dialect, um, yeah. which when someone does a, a fake Southern accent who who's never been in the South, it's oftentimes very bad. It's all like, it's so comically bad. Right. Uh, like when someone does a, like a New York accent and you're like, have you ever really heard? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I think I, I used to, I, I don't know if I've ever had any feelings about it. I, I really kind of like how relaxing of a, voice it is that's why in some of my stand-up i'll do a southern character because i actually enjoy the stand-up more from the perspective of this laid-back southern guy and i'm doing the same (laughs) jokes i'm doing the same jokes as if i was talking like myself but it's just more fun for some reason yeah yeah right also because you can tell crowds kind of forgive a southern accent like if i go up and i say something that i'm clearly like oh this is like uh this is something you shouldn't say Right. To like for a setup of a punchline, but if I say it, I can feel crowds being like, "Well, he doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> he don't know no better." Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, now you're one. You you said Catholic. You're one of seven, is it? That's right. Yeah. Wow. Your yeah. parents were all in on that papist bullshit, weren't truly, they? truly all in and truly staying in. If you guys know what I mean, uh, talk about sex, folks. Talk about sexual intercourse. Um, yeah, still there was, squeezing them out. Yeah, my dad was one of five kids. He was the oldest of five kids. And then uh, my older sister and I have a different mother. Our mother passed away when we were very young. And then my dad remarried 
uh, when I was like six or seven. And then from that marriage, I have five younger half siblings, which I always hate saying because there's no part of my soul that feels like half siblings is the proper description as they're simply my brothers and sisters. But yeah, I in a technical same. world, yeah, yeah, they're half. Yeah, I have the same. Yeah, my mom divorced and remarried and then she had uh, twins, a boy and a girl when I was nine. And they're my brother and sister. And, right. you know, and, and it, it's funny because like uh, my when my mom remarried she i have an older brother uh she uh she, my dad gave permission for my stepfather to adopt us because my mom wanted us all to have the same name so i was andy swanson uh from like i don't know i think third grade until you know a- after high school yeah because uh, then after she split up i changed my name back to richter Okay. And um and it wasn't until like the the third time that my brother Victor uh visited the the Conan show that someone went, So your brother's name is Victor Richter? <laughs> and I was like, Oh shit, I never thought about that. No, it's not. He's my half brother. It's Victor, Victor Richter yeah. would be uh, he'd have to be a pro wrestler, I guess. Vic Richter. <laughs> there he is, Victor Richter. Victor Richter. This is yeah, gonna sound like, crazy, but have you thought about going back to Swanson? <laughs> uh no, no, I haven't. Every ten years you should just go back. Just change it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my my last name now is Bellamy. Um, <laughs> no, I. Uh, but yeah, so I understand. Yeah, you got Habs, and but they're not Habs, you know. Right. Yeah. In did the technical see, now, world, yeah. you you went so fast. Did you say your mom passed away? My mom passed away of uh, uh, Hodgkin's disease How when I was you? very young. I was on my first birthday. Wow. So my sister was uh, two. Uh, two and a half, or maybe just no. She had just turned two, I guess, at this point. Yeah, yeah. So she was about, I guess, yeah, two, two and a half when when my mother passed away, and then I was turning one. Do you um, have any recollection of her whatsoever? Zero. Wow. I have zero, and it's 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 so strange because uh, I, I've questioned it my whole life, like. You know, which not that both situations aren't unfortunate and sad, but you know, I've always wondered, like, well, do you is it easier to have lost someone you don't know, but who is such a pivotal, you know, meant to be such a pivotal person in your your growth and your evolution, and is the root of where you you know truly came from? Yeah. Um. Or is and it affects you is in ways affects you in ways that like are just incalculable. You know, you yeah. can't. Even though you say you don't know her, it's like, you know, the the imprinting that happens between a, a mother and a child within just the first few days. Is, right. It's yeah. hard to gauge how much that means. It's, it's so hard to gauge. And it's something that, you know, I also grew up in a reality where, you know, over time, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know when we start to really log memory long-term memories i don't know if that's around four or five i know that it's maybe around five as i can remember some moments from kindergarten as like flashes in my mind but um yeah I, i don't know when that that occurs but uh 
it, over time, someone has to explain to you that that has happened. Mm-hmm. You know, so my aunt, my dad's uh, younger sister, uh, moved in with us. So imagine, you know, the 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 female uh, character in your life who's taking on the role of mother. You kind of don't understand that this this person isn't that person. You know, yeah. your soul understands it. Yeah, but your brain and your awareness, your 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 awakened awareness doesn't understand that. That has to be explained to you. And then my dad remarried, uh, and so again, I what then lose. How, how soon after? I I was like six or seven. So this is oh, about okay. five years. He started dating, uh, who eventually became my stepmother. I believe when I was probably three or four. Mm-hmm. But but imagine, you know, so now a second time, this motherly figure has to now also leave my my life. This other person I've Just committed to. Yeah, yeah. And now here's my stepmother, this third Oh, oh, I see. Oh this third person. So yeah, it's it's it 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 creates an interesting psychological dynamic in my mind that I'm I'm so certain uh time with a therapist which i've i've had and and even hearing a therapist being like all right let's unravel this i'm like oh the more i try to unravel it the more i realize it is a thorny (laughs) bush of just like yeah good luck getting to the root of understanding your perceptions of certain things because even from an early age you you had to cope with two crazy understandings of reality like losing your mother and then being like oh wait this isn't my mother uh she's not do you love her? Yes. Okay, well, she's also about to leave <laughs> as well. And right, now here's right. a third person. So, yeah, it's it's very strange. And it's why I don't respect uh, anyone. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and then you could just say, it's because I'm scared you'll leave me as you're just acting like a complete ass. I say it to my wife every time she goes to the grocery store. Yeah. I say, you're just leaving. She's like, shut the fuck. God, you got to talk to somebody. <laughs> and Fine, I go, I am. I'm going to be on Andy Richter's podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> it's called He'll Fix Everything. He'll Fix Me. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> I joked once with Scott Thompson that I wanted to do a podcast called I'm Worried Sick About You. <laughs> and just like no matter who it is, just find different reasons to just be really worried about Concerned them. about their life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God. Just John Leguizamo, I'm worried. <laughs> you need to get more people in those one-man shows. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, well, so you are a sporty kid, it sounds like. Yep. Yeah, was my that whole, whole was that your whole deal? I played. Yeah, I I was a class clown, ADHD, too much energy kid who played soccer and basketball and tennis, and you know needed needed these very fluid sports to be in constant motion because I just had as as I'm sure you know, like when you have that ADD and that sort of hyperactive brain, you have these wells of energy and you don't really even know where they come from or why they exist, but you just know you cannot sit still. And if someone says, please stop talking, you're not a dick. You just can't, you can't, you cannot stop. (laughs) It's like something that makes you go. Like you said, you're a class clown. Like when you get to college, what do you think you're going to do with yourself when you get to college? I mean, I know you're going to play soccer. You're going to play 
play your little soccer. <laughs> your little soccer sport. You run around in your shorts and yeah. hug your friends too your much. Shin when you, you when you your shin guards. You get your shin guards and your slide tackles. Oh, yeah. You're all Euro. Um, <laughs> but uh, what did you? What were you going to do with yourself? Did you? What so did you- when I was 14, my aunt uh, purchased a Hi8 video camera that uh, you know for home videos and stuff sure. the way all of us had those things i mean we had the giant vhs one forever and then suddenly i went on vacation to florida where she lived and i was with all my cousins we would go down and stay for like a week together and and play and she uh she had this new camera and was you know filming us out on the boat and like you know playing in the water and whatever and she looked at me and she was like you know you guys you kids should try to make a little movie or something with this camera and that was like the brightest light bulb going off for me where I was like, oh my God, we can, we can make something with this, with with this, we could, we could do something. And so I started, uh, um, making little movies with my cousins and siblings and I was a vicious director. (laughs) I have, I have a lot of regret (laughs) at how much I yelled at my brother for getting his lines wrong. And he's like three, (laughs) he's like three years. I'm like, when I say, come in, you stand here. I mean, just, horrific verbal abuse to a child uh because you know we have an age gap so i hear i am 14 thinking i'm steven spielberg and he's right he's just three being like what's everyone doing uh i've no joke i I have apologized to as my all my siblings are obviously adults i have apologized to be like look i don't know if you're harboring anything but if you do see a therapist i want to just get in front of it you're, it's gonna come out that I was not a great older brother when it came to making my movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, but other uh, than yeah. that, were you kind or were you kind of? A bully I think I was. Uh, I think I was an okay older brother. Yeah. I did like playing with my siblings a lot, um, just because I was so ADHD and I was so immature. And if I came home and there was homework, I was like, "Yeah, what if we all go in the backyard?" I was always finding like something to do where I could be like, not do homework, but go jump on the trampoline with my siblings and play yeah, with yeah. them. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I went to college, you know, in my family, having made all these little movies and stuff. And so I kind of thought that was my identity. So I was like, I'm going to be a filmmaker. I've always loved it since I was a kid. I've always loved acting, even though I never had done any of it. So I went to school, um, took a bunch of film courses, was intending to... I, I didn't know what I was going to do when I had graduated. It just kind of occurred to me that all I had told everybody was, I'm going to make movies one day. And I had just said that. So when I yeah, graduated, yeah. it was the first time reality and my brain hit me going, yeah, but you haven't really... You, you've you put no steps towards figuring out how to actually do that. So I then started working studio camera at the local news station after I graduated, uh, WSPA News Channel 7. And, in Columbia uh, or in Greenville? In uh, Spartanburg. In Spartanburg. Green- Greenville, Spartanburg. And so okay. I, I was basically like studio camera for the, the broadcast news for like, you know, I, you, I think the news used to just come on at like 6 o'clock, but, you know, in the late right. late 90s, early 2000s, suddenly it was like 5, 6, 9, 11, 11. Like, There's so many different broadcasts. Yeah. So I would a, a night's work for me would be going to work at like 4.30 and putting the, you know, the, the, the sheet up in front of me, t- stapling it to the, or uh, taping it to the camera viewfinder and then just getting the shots as the director's telling me to, to do stuff. And... 
you know, I kind of thought, oh, I'll do this and this will somehow lead to either staying here or doing something. And then in the middle of all of that, I listened to a David Cross stand-up album and I was like, you know what? I'm going to just try this. And then that that set me on the course to go do stand-up, which is strangely now brought me into the world of acting and movies yeah. and, and TV. Not like in a huge crazy way, but definitely way more than I thought was even even right. possible as someone that who you, didn't really know how to do it. Yeah. And and also like when when you start out you start out in stand up and it can definitely it can be completely separate from from filmmaking. Yeah. But then it also too, you know, I mean it's so much you know, there there's a certain sort of path in that in that world that you know, it started, I think it just started with every sitcom, you know, every stand-up getting a sitcom. Right. And the and 80s boom of. Yeah, it's of, not, yeah. So, not so much anymore. Right. Um, but yeah, but no, it's, but it, it's, a, it's also too, like, you know, I, uh, I started out in film school and then started to perform after, you know, kind of similar to you, but it was all sort of like a holistic process, you know, like it was right. I was learning all the different parts of it. And if I wasn't an actor and a performer and whatever it is that I am, um, I, (laughs) I, I'd be working in film, but I'd be just, I'd be a prop guy or I'd be producing doing something in it. Yeah. yeah, Or I'd be in Chicago producing television commercials for a advertising agency, but it was going to be in film production. I could just, you know, it was because for me, it was always very, it was very practical sort of, you know, can I make a living at this was way more of a, of a concern than am I going to be a big, am I going to make it big, you know? Right, right. And yeah. that was, and that was for the longest time, that was like, all I needed was just kind of the idea that like, well, it can be done and you can do something and, yeah, you know, you can make a living. I remember you know, when I first came out to Los Angeles and we were here doing a live show, a bunch of us were doing this show that we'd started in Chicago. And I remember a bunch of us went out to the beach one day and I just, all the houses on this, in the hills on the way to the beach, I was like, these can't all be like movie stars. Like <laughs> right. there's gotta be people in these houses that just, that are just, you know, they make a nice living working in this. There's money and to be made, and there's a job here for me. Right. And I just, you know, this is my, this is my industry. So right, yeah, you know, it is funny too how when you get on the, uh, at least with with stand up, um, you know, you do you sort of have it in your mind. You're like, oh yeah, I want to be big and famous. But it kind of comes from a place where you kind of know, well, if you don't get big and famous, then you maybe can't really do this because right. it's not a plausible right, career right. unless you you actually can make some money doing it. It's kind of funny how as your career trickles along, you start to realize how you truly don't actually have any control over where your career is going. You only have control over what the product actually is that maybe keeps it going or not you know either yeah. you're you're writing a lot either you're you're growing as an artist or or you're not and if you you are and it's going well then maybe you'll get some stuff maybe you'll get to be on a tv show that you you probably don't even want to be on you might get to be on a show that you yourself wouldn't even watch but that never right. occurs to you 
you only think, well, if I'm really good at stand-up and I get famous, I'll get to be in the movies I want to be in. I'll get to make the things I I want to make. And then you kind of hit a certain point where you realize, uh, oh, I'm actually doing well enough in stand-up that I can sustain this as a career. And then when you start getting some acting stuff, and I don't know if you, you've had this same thought process as me, but when you start to be around people who are famous in a, in a big way, it's only then it kind of occurs to you that you don't, you don't necessarily want that. You, you yeah. love to have the money, <laughs> as everyone would love to have the yeah. money, but you then realize like, oh, fa- fame is not like being popular in college where people just know you. Fame is you are you are surrounded by people who don't care about you or even know you, and they just need to to say that they saw you or got a picture with you or did right, something. Right. I, I'm not saying by any means that that's the level that I'm at. I've only been around that. I've been adjacent to people who are like that, and it makes me go, you know what? I think. I think touring around doing stand-ups a pretty good gig for a guy like me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is it it's well, and especially as you get older and you have kids and you're and you're already making a living at this. Right. It uh, the the sort of the big gee whiz like what ifs that you might have thought when you started. Mm-hmm. You just see like the yin and yang of it. Like, yeah, there's yeah. all kinds of great stuff, but then there's also like a lot of stuff that's just a huge pain the in turn the ass. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think like, having that delusion. And not, and not me. Not right. me. You know, I, I just, there's right. a lot of, there's just a lot of show business. And as I get older too, like I, have, I talk to my manager, I'm like, I'm getting to where I just, I like making television and I like it a lot. Yeah. It's really fun. And I love the people that I do it with. Every other part of show business is loathsome. <laughs> it's just yes. repugnant yes. to me. Yes. The yeah, meetings yeah. and the you know publicity and the just yeah. It's you gross. sometimes get get lucky in those situations on on who you work with or or yeah. who you have to go pitch an idea to or audition for. You just sometimes find yourself in in lucky spots that it's like hitting a good shot in golf it gets you coming back for the next thing because you yeah. go oh, maybe it'll be like that and you go through years of like oh no one's been nice again and then you have that one meeting where like oh right. that, you know she right, was right. really great and understanding i know and it's and always such like a low bar of like they seemed like a normal person <laughs> you know? just being normal like, yeah yeah just being nor- not even like, being great like just like an <laughs> like a, a a phony so phony they made my skin crawl yeah you know, like Yes, that's and because that is really kind of that's yeah. your, your, that's your you can bet on that. Usually it, yeah. it's a safe bet. Like the person I'm going to meet is will be phony to the point that it will make my skin crawl. Yeah. And I, I think I think when you're when you're deciding that you're going to pursue a career like this, those are all factors you can't possibly. Uh, those are all variables you can't factor in because you you're you you don't even think about those. They almost right. think like, well, I'll probably never get a meeting. I'll probably never actually yeah. have an audition. So you don't think what they might look like or be like. You just go, I'm going to be big because I'm good at my right thing. It's it is funny how the closer you get to the target that you established when you were a kid, you start to go, well, ah, shit. Well, now that I actually know myself more, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that I want this thing. Yeah. I don't know if I or or I don't want it to look like this. You know. Yeah. I I I I would gladly if I had the control over all the variables and and stuff. I would I would you know have so much more fun in it. But um, yeah, for me, it's it's I set out to want to be a filmmaker, and I would still love to do that. But now instead of having that drive and that desperation to need to make it, quote unquote, whatever that even means. I now am like at a point where I'm like, oh, I think I think having a job I like doing is the American dream. It doesn't yeah. so much matter how much money you're getting doing it, you know, as long as you're getting enough. But yeah, to, to me, I kind of grew into being like, I'd still like to make films. But if right now I could just travel and, and tell jokes to people, I I really love doing that and seeing the the product of that is so yeah. satisfying. So that had never crossed your mind before the David Cross album to do stand up. Yeah, I think I had been like, oh, you know, I want to be an actor and I want to be in stuff. And then I was, you know, that was another thing. I graduated and was like, I wasn't even in a play. I didn't even do. I would shoot videos that I was in, but that <laughs> Oops, that is I in, forgot. <laughs> I forgot to actually do any of the stuff I <laughs> told people I was going to do. Um, it. I I don't know that it. I think when I was in high school, I was such a class clown. One of my best friends, uh, Kyle Raby, was like, uh, he goes, yeah, he, we would love watching SNL in the 90s. It was such a great time for SNL. And we would watch it. And he was like, Roy, I think you could be on SNL. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And he goes, yeah, you know, he goes, have you ever thought about doing stand up? Because a lot of stand up comedians write for SNL. And I just remember being like, oh, well, then I'll probably never be on SNL because all I had known of stand up was you put on a suit. And it's very set up punchline. It's very Seinfeld. You yeah. know, at the time, he's like the king of it. Yeah. And I never really watched Richard Pryor. I didn't watch George Carlin. My brain was not at a point of understanding who those guys were or where they were coming from. I thought Jerry Seinfeld was funny, but I was like, well, I don't wear a suit. And I definitely don't talk like that. So it kind of didn't occur to me till I listened to the David Cross album that stand-up has variations just like music does. It's just sure. That just never occurred to me. And I was like, oh, I now have seen videos of this guy, not just from Mr. Show, but, oh, he wears what he wants. And he doesn't talk in word economy. And he's not concerned about, you know, the, the etiquette of what we're told traditional stand-up comedy should be. And it was only right. then, and then seeing guys like Nick Swartz, and where I was like, oh, I... I actually think maybe I could do this because I'm more like these guys yeah. than what I thought stand-up comedy had to be. Um, well, you were wrong because, man, <laughs> there's anything about your your act that's just, I would say, it's meandering. It's, it's like, get get to the punchline. Thank you. And that's... Please. That's... Oh. Uh, that's what I've heard that my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> well, now do you start do, when you start? Are you like, do you, do you quickly kind of feel like, cause you got to start out imitating people, I think. Yeah. And then, I mean, do you quickly kind of get to a point where you feel like you're saying what you want to say and that like you're being yourself? I think, you know, early on I sounded exactly like David Cross. I used to tell people my early standup looked like, David Cross was doing an impression of me. <laughs> you know, I, I was doing, <laughs> I was be, trying to have the essence of, of him while telling my, uh, my jokes through like his filter. And 
I think that was doing fine for me for a while. But then I think it took about a year for me to really be like, wow, wait a second. I, this isn't fun anymore. It's actually, I find it more fun whenever I hit those tiny little moments where I'm just being me, um, become more fun. And then you start to realize, oh, that journey of you being confident enough to get on stage and completely be yourself sometimes is a full career, just getting all the layers off. And you see the comics who become wildly successful. They become amazing at getting all the layers off and really, you know, uh, really relating to an audience. So I think I, I got tired of doing an impression and I realized it wasn't fun. And I also was like, Oh, but this isn't even me. I'm, I'm people think I'm funny and I'm talking like someone else. Uh, As far as like telling the jokes I wanted to tell, I think early on you just try to say something that's funny in whatever capacity because you kind of don't know what you want to say. But I think the fact that I started in D.C. meant that I had some political stuff early on. I definitely was not a political comic, but I had commentary on on gay rights and stuff. This is when Bush is uh, president. So I have, you know, commentary on you know, who he was as a president and why can't, you know, why can't equal rights just be a thing? So I I actually proudly look back on my career being like, oh, from very early on, not that the jokes were good, but I liked that I took a stance on certain issues and right. tried to write jokes about them because it definitely brought me to where I am now where I very confidently take a stand on issues and I find a way to try to not alienate people in the crowd who maybe won't agree with what I'm saying, and I actually find it to be really fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, you either do it or you don't, because, I mean, I, you know, like, I do I do some, you know, political activism kind of stuff, get out yes. the vote, and I'm in the midst of it right now. And it is, there are just some people who are, like, really established, and you just feel like, what do you, you know, uh, you know, and most of the time, you assume the what people you know, you can assume like who's not John Voigt, right? Know? Who's not, right. you know, who's, right. not, you know, who's that guy's probably pretty liberal. You can think, you know, <laughs> about a lot of people. Right. And there are so many people that I've, that I've come across. that are just like, no, I got to keep my, I got to keep my whole thing politics free, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, Jim Gaffigan just recently sort of, and famously, yeah, had a, had just a big freak out because he couldn't take it anymore yeah. about about Trump and and I think that it's kind of happening more but it's it's either like I say it's either in you or it's not like it's yes. it's always kind of been in me to be like yeah I make jokes and stuff but also too there's these things that sort of matter enough that I'm going to talk about them yeah you know, it's not like I'm not and I'm not necessarily proselytizing but I do kind of feel like I. I do think it's important to mention these things and to and to let people know that like some of the some some things are bad. Yes. You know, like sexism sexism is bad and racism is bad and yes. homophobia is bad. And I, it, ju- it it just like they need to know. I think it's wildly important. I think it's it has shaped from from entertainers, not just stand-up comics, but entertainers in general and how they talk about what they believe in and, and what they talk about. Like, even people that I don't necessarily uh, agree with, but when I see them speak passionately about the thing that they they think, 
whether I agree with them or not, I always take into account like someone who really uh, believes in what they're saying affects people, whether yeah. I think they're right or wrong. And so I- I've always looked at stand-up comedy as my job is to go on stage and try to alleviate the crowd's stress and and tension of every everyday life. But you also have to keep in mind, it, it, for me, I, I think, well, well, how could I possibly do that if, if it's a room of, you know, let's say it's at a comedy club on a Friday night. So let's say it's 300 people. How could I possibly know what everyone's stresses and tensions are that need to be alleviated? My best guess is to write material that is about the stresses and tensions that I have yeah, and hope to God the people that bought a ticket that wanted to listen to me probably did so because maybe we have similar stresses and tensions. I, I don't yeah. want a crowd. I, I never want to preach to the choir. I find it to be more fun and entertaining and engaging when I think maybe this crowd doesn't know what kind of jokes I do, and yet they're still at the show. Like, yeah. if I get on stage and I'm like, fuck Trump, I know instantly who is like, ugh, we should have done our research before yeah. we came down to the old <laughs> chuckle hut tonight. But it's more, it's more fun to spot them and go, I am now going to try to do a performance that entertains the people who already agree with me while I try to mock the ideals that you have on what you think how people should be treated and how leaders are supposed to be. And I'm going to try to do it in such a way where you don't become offended and maybe you consider what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And the the shows that are like that to me, are the absolute best. And when someone goes, you should just do comedy and stay out of politics, I'm like, I don't think you even understand what art is in general. It's actually, when you say something like that, it actually is great for me to know that you don't understand paintings, you don't understand poetry, you don't understand literature. It's not just comedy. You clearly don't understand comedy when, whether you're on the right or the left, if you asked all Republicans and Democrats who would you say are the top two stand-ups? Everyone is going to say George Carlin and Richard Pryor, no matter which side of the aisle you're on. Yeah. And what are those two guys talking about other than wildly personal, deep, dark stuff and very political viewpoints right. about that it's been embedded and in that are, stand-up and that are subversive, early on. That are, that are largely subversive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it, that is, well, the reason that, that it, that's the hardest thing to do. That's the the hardest thing to do is to sneak a message into something that is just first and foremost funny. Yes. And that's always kind of what I have, you know, that's what I try to strive to do because yeah. And and there's a lot of shows that do it. And 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 people love these shows and I'm never I'm you know, I mean in private I'll be like how can anyone watch and I don't mean those particular shows but just I I don't I try and make a, a a policy of not trashing other things like stuff that I don't like that other people like because it's like yes. well I just don't happen to like it's it. not for you yeah, yeah yeah it's just not for me but if you can it's like if you there's a lot of stuff out there that is just like you said, preaching to the choir or performative outrage, you know, mm-hmm. like, yes, like there's so many sort of like topical comedy shows and most of them are talent or run by talented people, star talented people. 
and they can be very funny, but they there also can just be those moments where it's like, yeah, I know, I know Trump sucks. Okay, I know, yeah. I mean, what what artifice is being employed here? Exactly, you know? exactly, yes. And or, and or, so it's, I, or it's, even, it's, not to interrupt you, but, but even from that, when you go, what are they doing? When you see them... A, a, a comic who doesn't just say fuck Trump when you go, yeah, it's it's obvious to a lot of people. But yeah. when they do it in a different way where you go, oh, this is entertaining to me because I, I agree. But yet they're trying to concoct a recipe that maybe plants a seed inside of someone yeah. who, who goes, who goes, well, I don't fucking agree with you. Because if you really look, if someone has come to a comedy club... You're like, we're not so different. You've come yeah. to a comedy club, which I have chosen to work at right. professionally for and we both know what my whole like. life. And, yeah. and and you know what happens here. And you you maybe are like, yeah, I hope someone gets up there and talks about blowjobs for 20 minutes. And yeah. you go, yeah, but what if I do kind of talk about blowjobs because I know that that's what you want to hear. And then when I switch it up, you sort of keep listening because I've already earned your respect and attention because I did say the thing you want. Yeah. But now I'm going to say the thing I want to say and maybe there's 20 people there that disagree with me. If two people are like, I don't know, I thought he made a good point about gay rights. You're like, well, that's what it takes. It does yeah. take getting yeah, those yeah. two people kind of yep. thing. Yeah. That's why I think when we talk about comics who are starting to be more vocal about these things or they're like, nah, my fans don't want me talking about this. I'm like, look, hey, everybody choose your own road if you don't want to get into it then then don't get into it but de definitely respect and understand the importance of yeah getting into it because to me it's not virtue signaling and to me it's not well i do stand-up comedy so i got this many followers now and now i'm gonna preach to those followers about what i think to me it's simply you being you so if you say well my followers don't want that then you then your followers don't want you I don't yeah. want you to fake it. If you're faking it, then that's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. But if you think it and you're avoiding it because you're worried about your fans, then you're not a fucking artist. You're yeah. just you, you're just placating to the people that are are following you. Why yeah, don't you Why don't you be an just, artist and tell them what the product is? Show just, them what the product is. That you're just running a business at that mm -hmm. point. You're just trying not exactly. to offend your offend your customers. Yeah. Um. Yeah, although, I mean, because for me, it's weird because I don't do a, like, I can make some topical political jokes, but I don't find it that funny. So right. if I make, you know, and I, I'm political mainly on Twitter. Um, and if I do it, I always am trying to do it with like the notion of persuading of not just because I don't think I want to win anybody over by going like, you know, you're a dumb fuck, although <laughs> I have been guilty of course, of course, of you're saying, human. <laughs> you're a dumb, like this, this is for dumb fucks, this thing yes. that just happened. Yes. Um, but I, <laughs> I mean, generally try and, you know, win people over. And so, you know, sometimes that's pointing out by like, you know, the GOP could maybe be subjected to RICO statutes at this point. Like, I mean, you know, that's like, that's <laughs> right. Like, like that's, you know, okay, maybe that's not like the kindest and like most subtle thing to say, but it's like, yeah, but I do feel like it's something that people need to start to kind of realize. Like, yeah, God, there's, there's like massive criminality happening here. Yeah. And, and massive collusion and base and just racketeering. And right. Uh, you know, that isn't like to say like, 
well, you should vote and really sort of, you know, vote your conscience and see what it, it's like, no, no, there's, there's people that should go to jail. Right. Uh, yes. You know. That have, that are, that are crimes against uh, humanity, not in a yeah. small way either. And not, not humanity that exists on another plot of land across the ocean. Yeah. But humanity that's actually, that's actually here. I, 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 I think that I always look at it the way we we're talking about football, and that's how people. I, I wish people held their 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 elected leaders to the same standard that they are willing to hold their quarterback to if he throws five interceptions in a game and they lose and they yeah, don't yeah. go to the playoffs. I mean, they right. want to cut his fucking head off, right? Um, hey, yeah, and they don't I, find they don't find reasons why the interceptions were actually a good thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I've always said, I don't know why quarterbacks don't take their press conferences the way Trump does. Like if you, if I got to a press conference, they're like, how, how does it feel knowing that if had you not thrown those five interceptions, you could have advanced to the playoffs? I would have been like, I didn't throw any interceptions. And then would everybody watching at home go, well, you know, I'm not on the field. Maybe he didn't right, throw any right, interceptions. Right, right, would you be right. willing to listen to a quarterback say he didn't do something that you just watched him do? Right, right. And would you go, uh, you know what? Actually, he's a good quarterback. Or... Would you go, maybe we should replace this quarterback if we want to get to the playoffs <laughs> next year? Yeah. Right now, if you told me horrific shit that Obama did as president, I'm not going to sit here and defend things just because I voted for him. Yeah. I would sit here and go, well, yes, every leader, no matter what, should be held accountable for their mistakes, sometimes, even sadly, when their heart is in the right place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's just what being a leader is but for some reason we live in a time frame where people are like well if i voted for them if i admit they did something wrong then that means i'm dumb or i made a mistake and that's just simply not possible yeah, yeah. it's like yes it 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 is possible every single you know it's not like i'm sitting here going biden is a shining blue angel that is yeah, gonna yeah, that yeah. has done no wrong that's that's not the case of almost all politicians but right. i think they should be held accountable for those mistakes and address them and in some cases those mistakes like you said are it might deserve jail time that's mm -hmm. just how it is yeah yeah well we devolved into politics and i swore i wouldn't talk to you about politics. i have to i tried to push it there oh the whole time. you're so tiresome the moment so you said how old tiresome. were you when, the moment you said how old were you when your mom passed away i went dim i said democrat <laughs> <laughs> i said uh, abortions Let's yeah, put it this way, I was good. already voting. And now, oh Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Oopsie. This is Comedy Bang Bang, the podcast, the promo. And in 30 seconds, I'm going to tell you why you should check out the show. I, the host, Scott Aukerman, have a lighthearted conversation with famous celebrities like John Hamm, Allison Williams, Phoebe Bridgers, Bob Odenkirk, just to name a few. Things go a little off the rails when different eccentric characters drop by to be interviewed as well. Each week is a blend of conversations and character work from your favorite comedians as well as some new hilarious voices. Comedy Bang Bang, the podcast. Listen every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? 
Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Can't you tell my loves are growing? Well, we've taken up a lot of time here. I, uh, and I want to talk about how is your, your new show? I mean, it's yes. new-ish now. Yes. Um, I want to ask about, because I knew that was coming up, um, what is it like to have had to to work on a season of a show that is released on one day in the middle of a pandemic? Yeah, I, it should be with advertising money. It should be exciting. Right. <laughs> but unfortunately, <laughs> with zero advertisement, it's uh, it's it. What's difficult about it is I I I think the demise of that show is going to be that we for two and a half years created one season of what I think is a really good show uh, for Comedy Central. They rebranded to be very, uh, to go uh, unscripted. Uh, They they fired their entire scripted department. They got rid of successful shows that they had going and we were just kind of a show that was in the mix there. I describe it to people as like, it's like we were in the, The Departed. We were like undercover cops and then all the cops who knew we were undercover got killed. So no one knew that we weren't really <laughs> criminals and that we were, we were, no, yeah. we work on the force. We're with you. So no regime change is a real thing. In it television. is a very real thing. And yeah. so that, that kind of happened to us and we didn't get put out in, in January alongside Aquafina, which I think would have been beneficial to, to both of us. Not that Aquafina needed our viewers, but I think that some of her viewers maybe would have also liked our, uh, our show and uh, so then we got pushed to summertime and they almost weren't going to put us out in the summer and then I think they were like ah, you know just dump it on YouTube because we're moving on anyway so the best that can happen to our show is that a ton of people watch it on Comedy Central's YouTube page it's called Robbie and uh, someone at some point decides they want to buy it and make more you know a, a streaming service that needs content is maybe like oh look at this an incredibly diverse show in front of and behind the camera yeah. about the south uh, and and you know talking about every now and then race relations but then also not at all talking about race relations my character is a white guy who has a child uh, with a black woman who is a mixed race child and we don't sit there and go but it's the south how could they have interracial relations yeah, yeah. instead we just we make it the story and we make it a part of the show and and yeah i mean obviously i'm incredibly biased because it was two and a half years of our lives and came from our brains uh the the whole all, the whole production everybody that put anything into it but it's it was great that it came out the way that it did in in the sense that my my father passed away in june so he did get to see what we made had they put it on tv i don't think he would have ever 
seen it. So the when when you try to find these silver linings, the one that I find is like, oh, you know, my dad did get to see it. Whether we make another season or not, life goes on, and you know, there's other work to be had. I I just think we could have strung together a really fun, unique second season as well. We were just kind of starting to figure out our our tone and everything. Yeah. 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 I mean, as someone who's been there. Yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah. yeah, it's par for the course. And it happens all and the time. And you start <laughs> and you really start to, you know, the thing that I've that I have I've felt and I have you know, like with different things, you know, I was number one on the call sheet for three different shows. And they were of varying qualities, you know, and I was variably uh, enthralled with the various shows. Yeah. And, um, but it is like you get in this process and it really is like a ladder. And at the top of the ladder, there's like your wildest dreams coming true <laughs> in terms of like what you, what, at, when you first started to let yourself fantasize about being a successful show business person, like the, the crazy, like, what if I had a, you know, a mansion and, you know, and like, Yes. Three houses and all this stuff, like that kind of financial stuff. And then just like also the ability to do whatever you want, you know, in show business. That's right. at the top of that ladder. And there are all these rungs. And at any one of those rungs, they can like push a button and it disappears and you fall back to the bottom. Exactly. Because it's always like, it's like, can you sell the pilot? Will they accept the pilot? Will they make episodes? Will they pick it up for the next season? Yeah. And it just you 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 cannot not fantasize when you I know. You I know. You can't not start thinking like, wow, this is really good and what if it really takes yeah. off and oh and the, you know, yeah. So it's just you just your heart just gets calluses on it because it just gets yeah. broken and repaired and broken and repaired and broken and repaired and it's a luxurious disappointment. Yes, it's yes. a very entitled disappointment, of course. But, but as an artist, not it's, it's entitled our in the sense that, like, you know? financially, you know, you're you're compensated very well for the thing that you you made. You know, depending on where you are in that project, right. like if it's and yours, also the like, thing that you love doing, you're getting yes, paid, you know, you're getting made paid to do it, and you're passionate yeah. about it. And I, I I think the the sad thing is is that you go through enough of those, and that that fire and that light starts to dim and and burn out and it's what's so sad about it and I keep telling myself this in this situation is that that excitement and that delusion of how good and grand things can be is sort of this necessary fuel for the fire yeah. to make the thing you're making good you kind of have to lie to yourself that this could be the thing that means you don't have to take notes any or get notes anymore yeah. you don't have to walk into a room going, oh, I hope I can sell this because you walk into rooms and they already kind of want to buy it, even if they don't know what it is, just because you have done it enough times. Right. I think when someone told me that Martin Scorsese was still having trouble getting money to make The Irishman, that's when I realized, oh, let's let's forget the idea that I will never not have to beg for the work. Yeah. <laughs> Right, because if someone has made that many good movies, and I'm not saying they're all great, but has made that many iconic movies, mm -hmm. and still people are like, I don't know, I can give you 
ten thousand dollars. <laughs> it's like what? I worked. I worked. Oh, I was what? lucky enough to get to work with Robert Altman. I was in a Robert Altman movie. Oh my god! True. What what movie? It was called Doctor T and the Women. It's okay. kind of a. It, it's you know I I think he just made movies and he liked making movies and the yeah end result was sort of like nah you know it's like. <laughs> To him, it was kind of like I think, and he, because when I I went I worked in Dallas on this movie, and he had every weekend big parties at his house, like big cooked dinners. Yeah, uh, at his house at his the house he rented in Dallas, and he'd have he had a big satellite dish, and he had like speaking of college sports, he he would bet on college <laughs> games, and he would have like these elaborate like well you see a uh, you know. Uh, Washington's got to win, and then UCLA has to lose at least by six. Because oh, I he, par- he knew he knew the like wheeled, yeah, <laughs> yeah like right, right. he'd like combine bets in some way, yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. were like I could not keep up with, right? But I think making movies was just like a party for him, and like some parties turn out great, and some parties are like, yeah, they're kind of duds. I kind of love that. It well, it was it was like what was sort of amazing about him, and he right up until the end. And I just knew this from, you know, his producer telling me he would say, I'm going to make a movie and there might be a script. There might not be a script. <laughs> and and he would just he you know, he did well enough in Europe that Europe European distribution would give him money. And then he would just start making the movie yeah. without having the full money. Like, yeah. Like, and he, he was Robert Altman. Right. Like, that's the way he just always was doing it. And 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 so you got to kind of be like, well, okay, it's never, you know, I mean, it's never not a struggle. But then I also think too, you know, when people get to the get to the point, actors get to the point in their career where like I don't audition anymore. Like I didn't know that was part of the deal. I thought I just assumed I'd be auditioning for the rest of my life. Right. And I so I can't like be because there are some things where they just where it is like, look, if you want me, you got to hire me just because. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, it's like a dick swinging thing, you know. It's like a, you know, <laughs> but also, so, but usually, I, I I find usually when you say that, it's usually for a thing that you're like, hey, look, if you don't want me to be in it, I right. that's fine. Oh, <laughs> there, I've done so many jobs where we're like, oh fuck, they they said yes to the price. Right? <laughs> now I gotta do this thing. Right. Oh yeah. shit! I was kind of hoping they were gonna say no. Oh yeah. well, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I, 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 you do kind of get your, your leeway, but then there also is some that kind of natural that like, no, it's still a hustle. It's still, right. And that seems like it sucks, but it also is kind of like, well, yeah, but you know, I mean, it's a complicated business and there's a lot of money and you're basically saying like, I have an idea for a funny story. Could you give me millions of dollars to make it? Yeah, like to to make it, and it's like it's not, it's not software. It's not like a new missile. Right. It's not. It's not some kind of you know revolutionary kitchen gadget. It's an idea about a funny story. You know, right. and you're asking for money for it. Yeah, you know. So I I there's <laughs> you know it's like yeah it sucks and it's hard but it's like yeah but you know. It's really good too. Again, it's yin and yang. Yeah, it's, it's really fun to do, but it's, so there's like lots of it that's got to suck. Yeah. So, well, I mean, it was it hard. 
is it hard for you to like for this to be sort of well i'm just gonna say is it hard to not take it personally to not think like yes yeah i i i've gotten better at it um because there's been you know i've been been doing stand-up since 2004 and i think commercial acting since like oh seven and then you know little stuff here and there for a bit but you know seven years of of acting uh fortunate very fortunate to get to be in in anything but in that expanse especially from commercial acting all the way to now there's been so much rejection already <laughs> that yeah you kind of, like you said, calluses around your heart. You do kind of almost expect rejection, which is almost why you still get excited when you get a role you audition for because you're like, oh, I get, just kind of assumed they'd say no like everyone else says no. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's, it's exciting to get a job. Yeah, but it, yeah. I, there are some times that you, you do take stuff personally. And, and I think with this show and how this show has, has been handled and gone, I, I kind of... I didn't so much take it personally as I just chalked it up to, oh, we were in the hands of people that don't actually care about this product. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a concern if this product is going to be good, but also if if it's in the hands of people who wouldn't actually know if this product was good. They right. wouldn't be able to spot it because their jobs are simply to wipe the slate clean and try to find a bunch of unscripted reality TV shows now. And yeah. so you go, well, if that's someone's life and career and that's what someone wants to do, they probably can't see the value. And like, again, I'm, I said, I'm very biased because it's mine, but they probably can't see the value in, in this show being good or what makes right. it good or why it's interesting or right. why I think it's pertinent to the times we live in or why it maybe is worth a second season. I think I, I, I would say I no longer take it so personally, it is hard not to initially be like, well, then fuck you if you don't think this yeah, is yeah, yeah. great. But I, I kind of look at it now that if there's most places that don't already buy a second season of a show, I'm already like, well, then I, I don't actually respect you in terms of you knowing what you're you're doing, because that seems ridiculous. It seems yeah. ridiculous to get involved in something that you don't even think will be good enough to go past eight episodes yeah. or 13 episodes. You kind of are like, well, I hope you guys get it. It's like, or why not have confidence in the people you're hiring, the people you're giving money to, to get the job done and make something that's good. Now, granted, you give people too much leeway, they sometimes fuck up. But I do know there's enough people in this world that if you go, hey, I'm going to stay out of your way and I'm going to give you all the money. I just want you to know that if you fuck up, it fucks me up. And there's yeah. enough people in this world to go, I, okay, I now know the stakes are, I don't want you to lose your job because you're being so nice to letting me make my show. Yeah. But that that's, doesn't uh, totally exist. I would say with our team that was at Comedy Central before they got fired, Yeah, uh, they were no, they that, were very supportive and we did have that, you know. They're, they're, the people, at, well, the guy Ken Alterman, who's a friend of mine, I'm biased. Yeah, I, I love um, him. Kent made a, a lot of really good programming for Comedy yeah. Central. And then, but, you know, he would tell me, like, because I'd say, man, that, you know, whatever that new show is, 
you know, key and like he was, it's key and peel is him, you know? And right. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, and then other things, you know, Andy Daly's review and, and, or, or Nathan broad for city you. And, yeah. And, broad uh, city, Nathan for you. Drunk history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, Hey, th- those are really great. And he would say like, we can't get anyone to watch him. Like he's yeah. like, when they did after key and peel became a big hit, uh, they were finding that people that loved Key and Peel and watched a lot of their sketches were not aware it was on a television program. <laughs> they weren't right. aware that like that they could see this on TV because they just consumed it online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know what you do, you know, the poor, I don't know what to do about that, you know. Yeah. And, and well, the thing, un- these people are just making their decisions. The people above them are making decisions. It's all just seriously – you're another division of a corporation. You got to make money. Yeah. Nobody gives a shit about like, well, you know, Rory has a really interesting point of view. <laughs> yeah. He's a like, good guy. Yeah. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> I know. I got other divisions where they just sell oil filters and, yeah. you know, the oil filters are doing great. Yeah. And if we put more money into the oil filter, we could sell even more than yeah. we're already selling. Yeah, yeah I yeah. know. It's uh I think that's why you kind of grow out of the uh, taking it too personally because you go, oh, it's a, it's this bit machine mm-hmm. that's bigger than all of us, and it's not necessarily about the uh, about the art. Which I, I I go back to the influence that artists and entertainers have on the world. It's unfortunate because to me that art is what informs and evolves and grows the culture. Yeah. When you have people commenting on it to try to steer it. Uh, towards being better uh not that that's what every tv show is doing but yeah i find sometimes when people are like well look we're just out to make the dollar you're like ah well i can't imagine that leading to a great society right right exactly yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and then you learn too, like uh, maybe i shouldn't like i shouldn't let these people and this organization and this structure this industry I shouldn't give it too much control over my self image. Right. You know, like I shouldn't let like, I shouldn't like be like, Oh, the people that were in charge, you know, a 20th century Fox didn't understand my show. And that means I'm hated. I'm garbage. You know, like, no, you have to (laughs) be like, Oh, he just kind of got churned up in the froth and spat out. And exactly. I have no value. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'll sort of attach myself worth to, my family like and how i feel Ugh. about that gross how they feel about me you'll never get anywhere with personal growth i know <laughs> well now what's what's next for you i mean i know you got the show and and i mean in covid it makes everything so fucking weird but i mean yeah. you have are you things you've been working on and yeah and i've how, got some and how now do you that- do that if you are doing that how do you work on things during this shit <laughs> yeah. how do you write anything I will say that writing and doing any kind of stand-up anything has not happened for me. Anyone that decided like this was going to be a great time to really sit and write and do stuff, unfortunately, a lot of my writing comes from the live show, anyways. So I I just I I'm not great at sitting and going. You know what? Let's finally put pen to paper and and write out this idea. Now there's sure there's some things I I probably could have focused a little bit more time on, but uh, now that productions are are kind of back in full swing in many ways. I do have a, a couple like acting things coming up, which are kind of great because I don't really have the spirit right now to do stand up in the current 
conditions. I will maybe grow to like it in a forced way if if things don't change and it looks like they they won't anytime soon. But I do have some work coming up for with that's acting. Um, but outside of that, I I don't really know. I mean, we've been doing the podcasts and and we do some of the live podcasts through a live Zoom thing. And in terms of getting that performer fix, mm-hmm. you know, getting like ah, oh, where I can see I'm making people laugh. I can kind of hear them on the the zoom and also you know they buy tickets to it so there's at least a little bit of income so you you feel like you're not just completely <laughs> draining your bank account when you buy a home in the middle of a pandemic without a job which is i don't recommend that to anybody sounds stressful um, there's some stress to it yeah mm-hmm. um but uh yeah I, I i'm grateful for the acting work that's that's coming up uh albeit you know uh something i haven't been doing obviously any of us have been doing in quite a while but there's something very excited about it in the sense that i'm like i get to leave the house and people are like yes and all you have to do is risk potentially getting the thing that locked you in your house and you're like yeah, yeah. i'll do it i'll do it no <laughs> get I, me out of here you know conan has been doing the show from largo and i was kind of just going in i mean and it's inexplicable as to why i was just kind of going in every other day you know like Kind of when they needed me, and then somebody yeah. who finally was like, "Hey, why don't you come in every day?" It's and I was like, oh, "Okay, yeah, I, I, I was willing to." <laughs> so I'm going there every day, and I am. It's like lifted my spirits, just sure, because I got somewhere to go. Yeah, you know? something to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that I yeah. can count on, and that I know is like, you know, uh, tomorrow it'll be there, and the day after that, and it's yeah. And it's also fun. Like, it's like, right, right. right. Uh, I love the people I work with. They're, you know, and I'm, I've been spoiled my whole life by working with like literally the funniest people in the world, like, right. you know, who are among the funniest people in the world. And they're paid to be funny. And so I get to just goof around and fucking cut up and tell jokes, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, so nice to have somewhere to go, and I I recommend it. So, God bless you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it um, for sure. Just to kind of lose myself in something, you know, kind right. of find some some focus to steer my my mind and try to keep my mind off the doom and gloom of everyday life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is my real voice. well all right the third question of this three questions gimmick is what have you learned uh what's Mm. the point of the rory's global story um aside from i guess uh go clemson or whatever that is i just go hardcore college football (laughs) i'll tell you what the lesson is the fucking sec conference doesn't know what's coming Um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I always, I'm always sort of curious as to like, well, what, what is it that, that not just in a pandemic that we're learning or just anything we're learning as we, we get older, but I, I think I've been trying to, uh, uh, I've had a hard time living in the moment when people say be present and be in the moment. I don't know if it's our line of work or my ADHD or my personality, but I have a really hard time doing that and i would say this pandemic and maybe age in general has taught me it's actually much easier to live in the moment and slow time down a little bit when you just eliminate 
yourself from the equation and you actually just try to live uh, and do uh, what my kid wants to do or tune in with my my wife and see what needs to be done around the house instead of me going, yeah, but what about me and what I want and all these things? I find that if you kind of eliminate yourself, and I don't mean, you know, don't take care of yourself, obviously still do that, but when you eliminate yourself from like the daily grind of life and you just go, well, what does my daughter need today? Or what does my wife need today? It slows the day down and you do kind of live in the present moment and you take your mind off of yourself. I think for me, I can't say it's for everybody. For me, my mind being on myself is not a healthy place to be. I don't steer myself in great places. I go to dark corners of doom and gloom and how things are. And then I'm also kind of selfish with my time. But if I can eliminate myself, then I'm more giving with my time. And it's, I find it to be more fulfilling. Even saying that, it's still hard to do it. <laughs> but, yeah, but the I more also- I do it, I find it to be a good thing. And I think too that on the other side of it, as you, as the balance, and this is as someone who's older and who completely relates to what you're saying. You're 78, right? I'm I am. 40. You're I, 78. I get. I actually <laughs> age uh, every every normal human day is like six days for me. <laughs> right. Uh, but I I think once you get to the other side of that, like sort of taking yourself out of the equation you actually get to a healthier level of how much of yourself you need to put into an equation sure. because it's easy to go too far to extremes uh, because, you know, I mean, like you said, you know, you've been to therapy. So that is kind of like, that is, you know, that's introspection and that's really, you could call it navel gazing and you could call it, you know, uh, uh, you know, being self-obsessed, but it's also like, you're doing it for the right reasons it's not it's part right. of it's part of the community work exactly and when you yes. when you give yourself over to the whatever little community you've built like yeah you it is a freedom and you do find it to be richer and as you do that the amount of sort of you know pathology involved and the amount of like how much you think about yourself whatever it lessens and you start to think about yourself and consider yourself in a healthier way, you know, yeah. and, in, and in a healthier light. And you kind of like, I don't know, you start to like, it isn't so much like yourself as <laughs> to me. It's just like, I don't, I'm not like, I'm not as fucking angry. Like I'm not disgusted by myself. I'm right. not like, you know, like this, like the occasional bouts of self-loathing are more kind of like, Oh, I'm all right. You know, right. Like, yeah. He's so yeah. he's fine. He tries real hard. Like, be nice to that guy. Yeah. Me. Um, yeah. So yeah, I I I hear you. I hear you. I do think I have I have like a overreaction to selfishness, and especially in this business, like self involvedness to me is just very unbecoming. And I yes, like, and I know it's to a neurotic level. Like, I you know. And I'm working at kind of finding the middle ground of that. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that that's, you know, it's a lifelong, sk- uh, lifelong, not skill, it's a lifelong s- project, you know? Yeah. Um, so. And it's also when you realize, when you start to realize you need to do it, you go, oh, this is, 
I think the forgiveness you're talking about with yourself is when you kind of realize like, oh, less me and more other people, you you go, oh, this is what everybody's kind yeah. of going through. Right. And, and you either you meet people who recognize it and also are trying to do something about it, or you meet people who don't recognize it or think it's ridiculous. And that's truly the makeup of most people. You're yeah. Gonna, yeah, yeah. But you, you do kind of forgive yourself a little bit because you go, oh, I, this isn't a unique problem. I'm not a bad person i recognize this thing and now i gotta work on work on yeah. it and it's relatable to everybody and yeah. i yeah i just find it very very fulfilling when i can pull it off but like i said it still it still takes a lot of mental work to be able to do it yeah well rory i miss you you're just in the other room Quit creating this oh, right, illusion right, right. that we're not we, that we aren't roommates. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> I haven't. I mean, I have, but I haven't seen you face to face in like what an hour and a half. Well, That's ever weird. since I got the mini fridge in my room, I don't need you anymore. <laughs> yes, and please stop peeing out the window. Oh, it's fun. Yeah. Oh, but you're killing the plants. Uh, oh. No, but I miss you, and uh, and uh, I would love to get out and see you sometime. Um, is there anything you want to plug to people? I mean, you plug the podcast. You got dads with Ruthie Wyatt. Yeah, you know dads uh, with Ruthie Wyatt. Uh, I got pen pals, and uh, yeah, I think if anyone, if you're, if you're, if you heard this and you're curious and you want to check out the show, I was talking about Robbie on Comedy Central's YouTube page. I imagine it will be living there for quite a while until they go why are we wasting all this bandwidth on this what could have been a wildly successful venture for this young man um yeah if you're if you're interested go there and uh, and check it out and if you like it tell people and I, I i don't say that because i will gain anything from you doing that i, right, I truly right. i truly don't think i will but uh if you do like it uh tell people because i i am really proud of what what we made i feel embarrassed because i haven't seen it and i'm gonna go see it uh, you know well it's that's like, why I. Uh, that's why this is, will be the last time we talk. So you know what? That it, there's so many reasons to feel relieved, <laughs> <laughs> and you just gave me a huge one. Wow, this has been a good day, and it's just and it's Monday. Wow. See, and that's and that's me eliminating me and going. How can I help Andy? He also <laughs> needs me to eliminate me. <laughs> uh, no, I will check it out, and I will let you know, and I will be brutal. If I, I, if I need to be. I welcome it, knowing All that right. it is a standalone thing with no future. I welcome it. <laughs> <laughs> brutal, Go brutal ahead, critique. have at it. Here's what you got to do next season. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. no, no. no. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Rory, uh, for being on The Three Questions. And thank, thank you. you. Thank you out there uh, for listening to The Three Questions. And come on back next week. Uh, for more of this, I guess. I've got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It's produced by me, Kevin Bartelt, executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Chris Bannon and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, associate produced by Jen Samples and Galitza Hayek, and engineered by Will Beckton. And if you haven't already, make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf.
Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.